Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Catalyzing Coherence, a podcast in which we try to take the world's increasing complexity and weave it into stories that help everyone make sense of this world. My name is Matthew Perkowski. I'm here with Brian Hofstein. Hello, friends. Namaste. And we want to give you guys a little bit of an idea of what's in store over this series of podcasts. So to begin with, I'd like to talk a little bit briefly about the idea of coherence. And in my mind, what we're trying to do here is take a world in which many individuals are creating an increasing number of stories with many data points from individual perspectives, whether those perspectives are scientific or spiritual or philosophical or psychological or emotional. All of these different perspectives are like different windows into the world, into the same world that is increasingly being uh, projected into our shared space. And all of those projections create a, a certain amount of complexity, a certain amount of ambiguity and a certain amount of chaos from which we need to create some sort of coherent picture uh, that we may all use to navigate this space. And with that in mind, I'd like to uh, let Brian introduce himself briefly to tell you a little bit about himself, and then I'll introduce myself as well. Hello, friends. Nice to be with you. It's a little tough for me to describe who I am or what I do. I wear different hats, and I've done a lot of different things. Um, I think for the sake of our coming together and um, sharing some of the things that we've been thinking a lot about and, and working on is in service of um, helping to catalyze a new paradigm for this world that we all cohabit and co-create. I... Uh, in 2012, I spent some time at Singularity University and was really influenced by what a lot of people here in Silicon Valley are talking about, you know, this next sort of techno-utopian dream that to me just seemed like a single-minded vision that was missing certain elements in the larger mosaic that is life. And since that time, I've basically explored everything I could possibly explore from um, complexity science to spirituality, from entrepreneurship to academia. Um, I'm just a very curious cat myself, and I find that as I come to this table here with you to think about, to brainstorm together with Matthew and with you all, you know, wherever you're, you're listening to this, um, we are at an important point in time in which it requires a new way of seeing the world, a new way of understanding who we are, where we've come from, and where we want to go. And so my intentions are just to help catalyze that in, in, in everything I do um, to, to, to embody love and to spread that love. And in the context of these conversations, a lot of this will be, you know, discussing scientific ideas, new, new ways of understanding the world and how that can actually lead to true progress, both for ourselves as individuals, but also for each other as a collective and as a larger superorganism that is this planet. Um, and so we'll get into a lot of big, heady ideas. I love doing that, and I hope to sort of share this journey with you all. Wonderful. And as you can tell, Brian covers a lot of ground in his background. 
Um, his uh, specialty has been in facilitating the exploration of these types of ideas with organizations as wide ranging as TED and MIT and, uh, or sorry, Harvard, not MIT, yeah, Cambridge. both wonderful institutions <laughs> co-located near one another. Um, and so he's, he's well versed in, in bringing out the narratives that uh, connect all of these ideas being explored by brilliant minds throughout the world. And, and helping to communicate those in a coherent fashion to, uh, to the world's inhabitants who, who may or may not have, have an easy time of making sense of their, their day-to-day exposure to these ideas, which, which can be a little bit confusing at times, and that's part of what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, with respect to that, my background, so people know a little bit more about me, is also a little bit difficult to put a specific finger on. But most of this story begins back at my time in college uh, in New Haven, Connecticut. I was doing research in evolutionary psychology and behavioral economics um, and working with primates, uh, working with a family of monkeys in, in terms of trying to understand the psychological roots, the evolutionary roots underlying our economic behavior and and why we value what we value. And in doing that, I came to know not only more about that family of primates and economics, but also far more about myself, far more than I ever thought I would learn about myself and, and far more than I, at that point, knew existed. And I think I realized my own personal connection and all of our connections to this deep lens of biological history and this deep lens of complexity that exists underneath the surface constantly, everywhere around us, uh, every moment. It, it saturates every interaction between one another, between ourselves and our environment, uh, between groups on our planet, political or spiritual or scientific or otherwise. And you know, it was this taste of this invisible world that led me to open up new doors to asking questions about how how the various processes by which we understand the world actually work. Mm. Um, once you have a moment in which it in which these invisible processes become somewhat visible, you wonder what else is invisible lurking beneath the surface. And eventually that led me to many places, but I also ended up doing software engineering and coming full circle eventually back to the world of cryptocurrencies and evaluating economic value and and trying to understand where that comes from and what it means. But in any case, it also led me to Brian here. And and we are very interested in digging further into this idea of tying together the immense amount of complexity that has been unleashed on the world. And I think I'm going to turn it over to Brian now to dig a little bit further into his ideas around this concept of coherence and what it means and, and how one actually catalyzes it and what are some of the actual advantages to be gained from doing so. Mm-hmm. Thanks, Matthew. So for me, coherence means a lot of different things. Um, I'm, a lot of my thinking is informed by Taoism. Um, and the Tao sort of being this cosmic harmony of yin and yang, which takes many different forms. That's chaos and order. It's being and becoming. Um, it's 
for me, it's it's like a, the true North Star that actually resides within us that we can tap into and tune into it. Um, I also really like the research that the HeartMath Institute is doing around coherence, specifically is, is the word they use, um, to within ourselves and our own bodily functions, find coherence in our breathing and, and finding a sort of balanced state of alignment with what will actually feel like your higher self when you tap into it. I mean, I think we spend so much of our lives stressed out, living in anxiety, just on the edge of uncomfortable, uncomfortability. Um, and coherence to me is, is, is embraces the fact that you're not always going to be um, in some specific flow state, but you can bring in that space in which you're feeling your best and you can sort of adapt and evolve through that space. And so I, I think of, I'm sort of like a fractal cosmologist. I believe as above, so below, as within, so without. And so I, for me, coherence is both finding in ourselves our true harmony, our best self, and then bringing that out into the world to share that with each other, with, with this entire planet. And so it is, it's a sense of harmony. Um, a sense of it, it, it encompasses everything there's you know if you think about music which is a, such a rich metaphor to consider um, as we're all sort of playing in this one cosmic symphony you know what is a universe is one song Mul you know truly we're in a multiverse there's many songs that we're all playing with but there can be a coherence and all the different instruments while we might play different notes and different sounds and different rhythms finding that coherence that melody is is something that I, I feel really strongly about and um, I'm excited to help sort of help manifest in the world. I think that's a beautiful goal. And I think that, you know, we each look at these same ideas through unique lenses. And in many ways that points to deeper patterns that underlie and give rise to the way the world presents itself um, what well, you know in, in ways that we might consider objective, but also in in ways that are meaningfully subjective, and by that I mean in in a manner that presents itself to individuals given their unique paths through this world, their unique interests, their unique skills, their unique set of psychological, cognitive, and emotional realities that they bring to the the table of every moment as it unfolds before them. And, and I think in my mind, I tend to look at this idea of coherence as, you know, from a systems thinking perspective, I tend to think of it as this idea that can simultaneously allow for collectives of diverse individual perspectives to act as a whole while simultaneously respecting and allowing for the maximum amount of personal agency and freedom and autonomy mm -hmm. inside that system. So a coherent system is that which can take coordinated action as a group, mm -hmm. but that doesn't impose that group's needs upon individuals in a way that destroys the unique value that individuals can contribute. And you know that's the lens that I've been looking at this idea of coherence through with respect to the evolution of 
of behavioral economic systems as well as you know, the rise and evolution of monetary systems. Um, but I think that it goes beyond that. I think the more that I, I speak with people across domains, the more it seems to me that similar patterns exist within and across many other fields in the world. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that we want to do here, and correct me if I'm wrong, Brian, but I think what we're trying to do is bring in voices from across the landscape of exploration, um, whether it's the, the, the domain of scientific exploration or artistic information or symbolic uh, exploration or literal exploration of parts of this world that are still unknown and see what patterns hold true across all of these living systems, mm -hmm. all of these systems of information, all of these patterns. And, and in doing so, maybe a framework will emerge that will help people to make sense of the immense complexity that can at times make us feel somewhat insane yeah. in the 21st century. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is, it requires everyone. It re this is like an anti-disciplinary type of approach. Um, that's how the MIT Media Lab, actually, that's how they define what they do. They're, they break down all the existing barriers and borders that we put up between disciplines, between cultures. I, you know, for me, I'm all about this, this oneness, this, this sense of unity. And um, E.O. Wilson talks about consilience. The, the tree of knowledge is everything is connected. Um, and so to solve the problems that we face today, we need a new type of thinking. We need a new type of consciousness, a new type of um, a new view of who we are and, and what, we're, what we're here to do. And I, I'm not normative in the sense that I think anyone needs to do anything. I don't have any sort of... Uh, my, my hope is just to help enable the greatest actualization of our potential. And there are, there are ways, there are things that can help. There are scientific insights. There are spiritual insights. All of these things. McLuhan said, mysticism is just tomorrow's science dream today. I actually consider myself something of a mystic. I know where science is going. I've, I've, I've spent time with some of the best scientists in the world. I'm very uh, well aware of the cosmology that exists right now in sort of mainstream scientific uh, conversations. And I appreciate it. I love it. For me, if you go to the frontiers of science, it becomes the most spiritual psychedelic thing you could possibly imagine. I mean, think about it. We all came from an infinitely dense point of what this big bang cosmology that that unfolds through this universe um even looking just on earth 4.5 billion years ago we all it was just a little cell this, this think about it the prokaryotic cell just this little bacteria and then another bacteria a mitochondrion they join forces and they become this eukaryotic cell and all of life as we know it comes from that eukaryotic cell that's, I, I find that to be our relationship with that technology. And, and we're sort of in the midst of creating a new superorganism that we're all part of. Um, and what comes after it, who's to say? But truly, as Matthew said, this coherence, it allows for not only this collective coming together, but within that framework, it empowers all of the individuals within it, the agents to have greater uh, autonomy, greater capabilities for themselves. So these theories are tools. 
these are just ways for being in the world and, and navigating the world. Um, and they can be really helpful. I mean, one of the things I've been researching a lot lately is cybernetics, which is a Greek word. It means stewardship. And it's just about, it's basically like applied complexity science where we, ha we understand how systems work and we're putting in frameworks to help systems achieve their desired outcome. So this means both for you as an individual, but it means for your teams, it means for your companies, and it means for this entire planet at large. There are ways in which we can better steer this ship. And so Matthew and I are here to help catalyze that, that coherent sort of framework for our greatest becoming as a planet. I think that's an inspiring message. And I'd like to take a second to riff for, for a moment on the idea of that inflationary cosmology and, and just take that, mm. uh, take that down a, a related and parallel path to hopefully uh, provide another metaphorical lens through which our audience might conceptualize what we're doing here. So are you familiar with the, the cosmic microwave background radiation? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. So a pattern that is deeply embedded when we look out into the deepest regions of space-time, as far as we can see, there's a pattern there. And that pattern is an irregular pattern that is the remnant, the echo of the tiniest of irregularities that were present in that infinitesimally small point of light and energy and heat or whatever might have even, uh, you know, existed before those concepts right because yeah. you know we that's what we call that moment before the big bang but it's unclear exactly what it was right um in its essential nature but mm. whatever it was there were these tiny tiny patterns of irregularity and then the big bang occurred cosmic inflation occurred the universe expanded at a speed that is literally incomprehensible to the human mind, even if you know all the facts involved. To try to actually run that simulation in the brain transcends our capacity to, to really actually simulate that which we know in the mind. We can talk about it conceptually, but it, you know, to say that it is like a hydrogen bomb going off is to not even come close to doing justice to the violence and expansive capacity and power and immense, immense speed of that event. And that explosion took those tiny fluctuations, the tiniest of patterns, and projected them to the largest, you know, upon the largest of screens, upon the entire universe. And it seeded every other structure Mm. that exists in the universe. Mm -hmm. And there was no way to know exactly what moment and, and which irregularities were going to end up projected upon the universe. But that's, that's the story of, of, of how the basic structures that shape the matter and space and time in our world got to be the way they are. And so I, I look at this idea of where we're at this moment, this nucleation event, as you put it, this, mm -hmm. this, transformation into the eukaryotic cell as a moment very much like that cosmic inflation mm. where the patterns that exist at this moment in time, the structures that we create, the ways that we connect have the power to, you know, they are the patterns that are going to be carried along with us as 
every element of our world inflates exponentially. And that means to me, at least in my own mind, that the patterns that we create now will either allow us to hold together as something coherent that can ride out this inflationary period and and retain life on the other side, this crazy experiment of, of biology that has co-located uh, on uh, a planet, the third rock from the sun, mm-hmm. uh, in you know backwater of the Milky Way. Um, <laughs> yeah. Will it survive this, you know, this exponentially inflationary event that we're in the presence of, of creating via yeah. our technology and our transformation? It's unclear, mm-hmm. right? And I think it's highly dependent, highly contingent upon this idea of what patterns do we seed in this moment? Yeah. What structures are we creating? How are we taking the information that's being generated in all of these domains and weaving them together? And, and those patterns that we weave, at least to me, seem to have much to do with whether or not we come out the other side alive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a really important point. Um, I often, when, I, when I'm teaching people about exponential technology, I talk about the knee of the curve. Um, and there's you can sort of Google this uh, to see really where we stand today is sort of on the frontier of what is an exponentially advancing world in all these different domains. Um, but the knee of the curve is that point at which the change begins to accelerate in a way that's just so unprecedented, so enormous. And so we stand here on the knee of the curve and we face a world that is in so many ways in disorder. And yes, it's, it's so essential that as we, you know, small initial conditions are so vital to any complex system. And so to get the conditions right upon which this new acceleration unfolds is so essential for us. It is. Those, those patterns are going to be the patterns, as we talked about, that, that become the, the platform upon which everything rests. And you know, these initial conditions are a concept that's deep, deeply related to complexity theory and, and chaos theory and, and nonlinear dynamics. And these are topics that exist at the edge of public consciousness, perhaps, but I don't think most people have concrete modes of of thinking about these types of structures, thinking about the way that these fields of study or these metaphors actually um, actually intercede upon their their life, their every moment, and the way that actually understanding the world through these lenses might allow them to take more control over their day-to-day lives, over their actual understanding of the systems in which they're embedded mm-hmm. and understand the flows that, you know, that they're a part of mm-hmm. in ways that allow, uh, allow us to not only have more agency in our own lives, but also to form these coherent structures mm-hmm. with those lives around us. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's one of these things where, you know, in this podcast, what we really seek to do and, there's a couple of things. The first is that we're really trying to build a conceptual platform. And so the first maybe four or five episodes, what we're going to attempt to do is to take deep dives into a group of topics that we consider to be integral in this journey of coherence. And those concepts are that of coherence itself, 
Another is the, the, the topic of complexity as a domain. Another is, as Brian mentioned, cybernetics and also network science. So the theories and, and science and, and actual mathematics of networks, which underlie the vast majority of our, you know, our society's infrastructure in the 21st century. Everything is a network increasingly. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it wasn't explicitly a network, it can be viewed as a network, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Anything anything in which there is structure and, and information flowing is effectively a network. Mm-hmm. And we're going to unpack that. And then this idea of, of deep time. And so that's our current framework around the first four or five episodes that we're going to drop. And we're going to take... You know, each one of those episodes and really try to unpack those conceptual structures and, and make them relevant to not only um, you know, these esoteric fields in which they grew you know, in which they grow, in which they develop, but you know, to the to the actual daily to the daily actions that take place around us, to the patterns in which we live our lives. So now that's going to be the conceptual groundwork. And Brian, do you have anything to kind of add about, about that first part of this? Yeah, I mean, I think all of these things, we're painting a mosaic of the world. Um, you know, there's, there's like in, in complexity science, there's some very key fundamental principles that, that exist in all complex adaptive systems. You have um, attractor states. That's where a system is sort of, that's where its, it's propensity is, is leading it towards something. It's like a plant that's moving towards the light or it's, you could think of this, another system as like Wall Street as a system, and that everything within that system is operating in the service of quarterly earnings or shareholder profits. Um, we all have these different optimization problems that we're solving for, and so attractor states of systems are sort of what we're aiming at. And so we need to get that aim right first, and so we'll talk a little bit about that. Um, and then there's feedback and recursion that, are, that takes place. That's sort of the iteration towards your desired outcome. And then in all complex systems, there's this notion of emergence of something, a sum that is other than its parts. It's greater. It is completely different than everything that preceded it. Um, and so to understand sort of the dynamics of complexity and how that relates to all aspects of, of our lives and, and what we're doing. Um, and, they, uh, and then deep time is another really beautiful concept. I mean, it is just something to, to it's something to meditate on, truly. Something to spend some time with and to just like sit in silence and think about where we are in the, con- in the context of deep time. Um, and so, yeah, all these things, they'll, they'll play on each other. They'll, they'll add to each other. Um, and ultimately, it is to equip the audience and as Matthew and I go back and forth and, and, and sort of learning from each other, learning in this process itself, uh, to, qu- to equip ourselves with mental models, with blueprints, with maps for the future um, and to help us as much as we can thrive and flourish and enjoy the experience of life. I think that's a beautiful way of putting it. Um, this relates to some extent to a notion that I think a lot about, which is that of culture as technology. Mm-hmm. The notion that the words we say to one another, the symbols we exchange, the art we create, the structures of knowledge that we um, hold up as important or hold up as pillars of, uh, of, our, of our societies, of our ethical foundations, these are all in many ways, 
technologies we use as operating systems for uh, for our species, right? For this biological entity that has developed the ability to communicate using symbols. And so what we're trying to do in the first four or five episodes is create a grammar, a shared grammar for the following um, series, uh, the following episodes in which we take deeper dives into how all of that conceptual language and grammar of complexity and cybernetics and emergence and feedback and recursion, um, how all of that relates to fields as diverse as music and uh, science and monetary representation and psychedelics and psychology. Like there's all of these fields that present themselves as separate. Yet what we're trying to do is establish a language that is capable of conceptually bridging these different or presumably different fields such that we can bring metaphors and analogies and patterns from one to the other without doing damage such that the sum is more than the whole of its parts mm -hmm. such that we create that conceptual structure um, that allows for the constructive flow of ideas between these domains as opposed to uh, you know, overly destructive competition or the notion that there is a singular way of, of looking at reality as it presents itself to us. Um, it seems far more like there are patterns and we observe different parts of these patterns and then we decide to or it is most useful to different groups or different individuals to perpetuate the language around um, around that lens. And instead of acknowledging that reality is a co-creation in which we are each our own lens mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and we are each trying to navigate this space of immense complexity together. Mm-hmm. And, and weaving narratives that allow us to make some sort of sense from what is otherwise uh, far beyond the capacity of any single individual or group to, to represent in a way that is, is capable of scaling for another hundred years. Mm -hmm. Yeah, a couple hundred, a couple thousand, maybe 10,000. Um, we need now, well, to... Let's thread the needle of the next 200 first. <laughs> <laughs> but we need to understand where we are in the context of, of big history and deep time. And um, yeah, as Matthew said, culture is so essential. I, I say the battleground of the future will be won and lost in, in culture, in the battle of ideas. And so we need to in no, like we need to empower our ideas, the, the, the words and the, the symbols and the means by which we are communicating and connecting upon. Um, and so a lot of this will be that. I, for, I love to sort of point to there's a Venn diagram that has on one, one circle is science, the other circle is art, and then what the overlap is it says wonder. And that's where I spend most of my time. I'm just wondering. I'm, 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 for me, there, it's science, art, they're two sides of the same coin. And for us to, to wonder, to have these things in our, in our back pocket as such, um, and to, to be in the world wondering and playing upon that wonder, is it's such a beautiful thing. It really is. It's something that 
you can experience in your life in a way that you just feel it. It's not any, you know, as cerebral as I may be. I can also just feel these things in my bones. It's a very visceral sensation of, of knowing and knowing that you know and then owning that knowing and acting upon it. And that's really powerful. And I think that's where we want to get to with, with this podcast. Yeah, and to play with the idea of wonder for a second, you know, it is interesting in in both the, you know, in, in both its I guess, verb and noun forms, um, you know, to either wonder or to engage with this concept of wonder. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting that we we have these words that represent both emotional states as well as processes by which we engage with the world. And I think that you know one of the goals for this podcast should be to both engage with the process of wondering about these deep patterns and structures of the world, but also to try to convey to our audience that sense of wonder that I think you and I share mm-hmm. and has brought us together before the otherwise overwhelming complexity and immense magnitude of this world we're entering. Mm-hmm. And you know, I know that's, that creates a sense of awe and a sense of wonder in me. And I wonder a lot about it. <laughs> and uh, I know a lot of other people do as well. And I think we can perhaps create the seeds of a collective intelligence that will help all of us find a bit more pattern amongst the noise. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this notion of building a narrative, um, there's a passage uh, of King Solomon's in the Bible where there is no vision, the people perish. And I'd say right now, one of the sort of existential anxieties that are within the modern zeitgeist are the sense of what is the vision? Where are we going? How are we going to get there? What does it look like? Who's involved? And so together, this is, this is not anything that one, two, any group of people. This is, this is a collective effort to redefine our story and our narrative. And as that passage goes, he that keepeth the law happy is he. And so the law for me, the law is love. The law is tuning into the Tao to following our own unique dharmas and and playing our instruments in this cosmic symphony as best we can and i think there's a lot of laughing and joy ahead quite frankly i think that i like to say the rising tide lifts all boats and as all this new technological energy and and kinetic potential and all these this this world of abundance that we're hopefully moving towards for me it's for everyone this is something as an innovator i think about Basically, I use Maslow's hierarchy, and I, I want to push everyone up Maslow's hierarchy of needs to self to, to total transcendence um, and all the beautiful things that go along in that journey. And I know it's possible. It is possible. It, in fact, it's more than possible. It's what's going to happen. It's what's going to happen, and we're all doing it together. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's, I think we need to view ourselves more in the lens of an artist, um, a collective of artists, creating music, creating stories, dancing with all of this fun potential that we now have to play with. 
um, and to transcend the existing sort of status quo, the infrastructure of our systems and, and the baggage that comes along with that, that's just, whoosh, whoosh, that's water under, that's old stuff, that's old skin. I'm all about the, the next iteration of, of what we're becoming, who we are, and how we're going to experience what's possible. And along the lines of experiencing what's possible, we want to share some visions of what's possible through the eyes of those we consider to be artists in these domains. And so over the next, well, however long this podcast goes, hopefully longer than shorter, we are going to tap into our networks and tap into, you know, try to tap into the universe to the extent we can to find the most interesting voices, the people who are operating at the edges of the known, looking out into the darkness of the chaos of the unknown, making sense of these patterns, connecting you know, humanity with itself, connecting us with further knowledge um, in whichever spaces might be relevant to that week's conversation. We're going to bring these voices onto our show to help us, to help us draw out this map, to help us create a map that will allow for those of us who, who are truly seeking more understanding in this world to begin to co-create a tool by which we can accelerate our understanding of what we're doing at a rate approaching that which we're already creating new knowledge. Mm -hmm. So we have plenty of knowledge. We have plenty of data points at this yeah, point. Yeah, it's turning that into wisdom is where we're at. Yeah, and what we lack at that yeah, what we lack at the moment is sense making and meaning making tools. And we hope to bring voices onto this podcast who will help us make sense and help us create meaning for both ourselves and hopefully by extension for those who are listening to these conversations. So you know, those are our goals. At least that's my goal, and I think Brian and I share those. I'll let him, you know, speak for himself and in his, in his own uh, interpretation of these goals. But at least for me, I think that without these maps, these maps of meaning, these maps of sense making, we are unable to come together in a way that is likely to remain coherent over the next perhaps even 50 years. And these are the things that I worry about deeply. I worry about our ability to, as a species, given that we now have the types of technologies capable of ending our species, not only ending our species, ending the lives of many species, um, of, of bringing to an end this precious life that, for all we know, may only exist here on this planet. Now, perhaps that's not true, but... We don't know yet. So this is delicate. This is fragile. And not only is it delicate and fragile, it also happens to be immensely powerful. And that power and that fragility seem to exist at times in moments of contrast, in moments of diametric opposition. And it's hard for me to see this moment in history as, as anything but that, in which we are beginning to grapple with the implications of our immense power in the face 
of a life that is still quite fragile. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think, Brian, you talk a lot about the idea of we are as gods and, and might as well, or we are becoming as gods and might as well get good at it. If I got that wrong, please correct me. We are as gods and might as well get good at it. That was Stuart Brand in the Whole Earth Catalog. But then he recently, his Whole Earth Discipline, he rewrote that. He said, we are as gods and have to get good at it. So I do believe in that. I do. I mean, whether we're creating synthetic artificial life or building worlds in, in digital domains, we're actually going to start realizing that we're actually gods in this physical earthly domain. And we need to get good at it because right now we're not so good at allowing this beautiful planet of ours to just blossom as it might. Ralph Waldo Emerson said, the earth laughs and flowers. And I'm all about laughing. And peace rather than any of this other stuff that we spend our times, you know, this muck that we like to play in right now. That's just, that's an old sort of cancerous way of thinking about the world. I think um, I'm sort of like, maybe you can call me a hippie, but... I believe that love wins in the end. <laughs> we can certainly hope so. <laughs> I think this is this is one of these interesting tensions that will likely play itself out repeatedly between Brian and I. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, it's good. You have to as you as you as, you as you might tell. Yeah. I, it's not that I don't think that that love is powerful or that love wins out in the end or should win out in the end. I I I. Well, perhaps depending on my mood that day, <laughs> <laughs> I'm more or less inclined to, to buy into that. But I, I think it's a powerful message, and you know, I think that's actually an, an element of contrast that that will be useful in terms of you know, in many ways, Brian and I are quite aligned on all of these ideas. But you know, I think you and I we 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 have our differences in perspective, we have our differences in personality, we have our differences in approach yeah. to this world and i think that you know in between that or within that contrast in the midst of that tension you know it is it is that's a fertile tension that's mm -hmm. a generative tension totally. to be able to to open our experiential aperture as it were to a wider range of conceptual interpretations and you know, I, I don't want to fall into the role of playing the cynic by any means, though perhaps I, I am slightly more naturally inclined towards not necessarily pessimism, but perhaps a, a sort of a sort of realism that inclines me towards a slightly more austere interpretation, though I believe in the immense power of ideas like love and concepts yeah. like hope yeah. and you know, like we were talking about, these are the words we use to evoke deep parts of our biological and cultural structures that aspire or that appeal to to the very best in us. And if we're going to create new worlds and if we're going to become as gods, if we must become as gods, I would say that we would certainly hope to bring out that which is the best in what we are now. Yeah as the basis for those later beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Buddha said, what we think we become. So we might as well think about some awesome stuff, is how I view it. Yes. In the Tao Te Ching, the way to do is to be. So let's be awesome. You know, these are, it's like very simple hacks here. 
we can just get to that point in which we, we are what we want to be. Who we are, we say we are, is what we become. What we think, what we think, what we feel. I, I guess my, my thinking is that this is a bottom-up approach. That literally if there's someone out there listening to this right now, that if their thoughts become empowered by these ideas, that the, I believe in the ripple effects. I believe that in our own, we all live in our own worlds that are actually part of one giant world. We all play, there's, there's def, different elements, there's different tonalities to, to these songs that we're sort of moving our way through. But they come up together and together we become the symphony that makes beautiful music. Um, and so... I guess I'm, I just want to help catalyze that in any way I can is, is really what it comes down to. And, and I think, you, you know, the more I look into the evidence for, for these ideas, the more I dig into the archives, the treasure trove, I do. I think the answers are there, and I think they point to an optimistic um, view. And I, I think of evolution. I say evolution is that which evolves its own evolvability. It's a process that actually empowers its own process for greater and greater becoming. And so all the tension that we feel in the world today, all the, the existential risks that we do face, I think they're actually in the service of something greater. That as, uh, you know, I'm a Hegelian, is, is my, the dialectic of history of, of thesis, antithesis, and synthesis. And right now we are, we are in the throes of the antithesis of of Trump, of Brexit, of whatever China's up to, all these different sort of um, approaches to managing the modern world. Certainly, there's, there's some, there's, you can point to some positive aspects, but clearly, there's so much that's wrong with the world. And what's emerging is a new synthesis. And it's up to us as creators, as artists, as innovators to help steward that new synthesis. And I'm optimistic because I meet so many people every day that are doing this in their own way. And I, I have so much gratitude and respect to, to the heroes of mine that have shown us the light, shown us what's possible. And my, my purpose here is just to help catalyze all of our own versions of that and coming together and sharing um, in, in this song that we're making. And it's a necessary song for this moment in time. I, I think that there are quite a few reasons to be optimistic. Not least of which because even though there are many things that... Um, there, there's a great deal of room for improvement in our world. But there's a lot going right. There's, there's a huge amount of improvement every single day that happens beneath the perceptual layer of our, our media-driven reality. Um, there are people who are helping to build technologies that are the seeds of the solutions that will help create more of this coherence, that will help us surface the patterns of behavior, the patterns of being that lead to better patterns of becoming. Um, I think we are in this domain where It's a moment of sensitive dependence on the initial conditions that we set today. Mm -hmm. Just like you know, coming back to the earlier conversation of the world's 
unfolding in this present moment or as someone like Heidegger would put it this process of of unconcealment mm. that we are going through so much is being unconcealed so quickly that we're struggling to connect the dots in ways that allow us to to see the underlying potential the underlying optimism mm -hmm. and that's fixable that's reconcilable that mm -hmm. It's not inherent in our nature that we must focus on the negative, that we must focus on that, – that we must create systems that amplify that which creates chaos, that which increases existential risk. These are not foregone conclusions. These are downstream effects of our systems of values, of the ways that we represent value, of the way that – our representations of value feed back upon what we actually value and, and how we treat each other based on those values. And these are elements that I hope to explore further yeah. with you in, in the coming episodes and bring other voices into these conversations that can help us discover the contours of, of what is currently invisible about this process of unconcealment. What, what is currently, you know, so much is being shown to us so rapidly, yet what is most important is that which is still invisible. Mm -hmm. and, and hopefully we can surface that. Hopefully we can take the, the ground uh, upon which the figure of all of this information is projected and start communicating in a way that allows people to see connections that are otherwise invisible that that might act as that might act as bridges between uh between domains that would otherwise be isolated as william blake the poet put it to see a universe in a grain of sand and heaven in a wild flower Hold infinity in the palm of your hand and eternity in an hour. These are not just words. These are ways of seeing the world, ways of experiencing. And that's what we're here to help all of us do together. So we look forward to having you join us on this journey of exploration and hopefully co-creation of a pattern that connects, of a pattern that increasingly brings more minds into the fold um, based on a attraction to the idea that despite the overwhelming complexity and, and feelings of uh, incoherence that we can actually lend pattern to this chaos that we can create coherence together that we can catalyze this notion of connection and generative connection that can carry us through tumultuous times to whatever's on the other side of this historical moment. Mm -hmm. We look forward to it. See you soon. Cheers.